Hey guys, welcome back to the Mind Refinery podcast. This week we talked to one of Toronto's great chefs and creative minds, the co-owner of True True Diner, Suzanne Barr. We're going to talk the effect of COVID on the restaurant industry, reflecting on the last year and opening of True True Diner, and her work on her upcoming cookbook. Speaking of Suzanne, the next episode of our culinary series played a drop soon. We followed her and her partner Johnny as they build True True Diner all the way from construction to busy brunch services. The trailer is available on our YouTube channel. And now, without further ado, here's the show. All right, guys, we are here with the talented Suzanne Barr, chef and partner at True True Diner. Suzanne, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm um, actually at the restaurant um, helping out, um, lending out our space for a friend that's doing some 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 good work in the city um, during this COVID time. So um, it's nice to be here with you guys. Thank you. Uh, so how has the lockdown been for you and your partner slash husband, Johnny? You know, um, to be very, very frank, um, it is, it's kind of been ebbs and flows, moments of, of, of joy, moments of uncertainty, moments of frustration, um, sadness. We've, it's been a gauntlet of different emotions. Um, but I think, um, we recognize that I think globally everyone's has their version of what I'm saying. And I think we all kind of are, are being quite gentle with each other. Um, you know, being in, in our house together 24 hours a day with our son has been definitely a new, a, a new aspect of our family life, but I think it's been so welcomed. We've found our, our peace and serenity within bike rides, um, within our neighborhood and, you know, short walks when we can. But I think it, it's it's just like a gauntlet of different emotion, emotional um, attachment and disattachment, to be very honest with you. No, absolutely. I, I found that, you know, with me, it's like you're enjoying the time, but you don't like the reason why you got the time. But you're also anxious to get back like into life and have everything be normal because obviously there's so much negativity surrounding the whole situation you guys largely just uh, stayed closed for this correct yeah we we um made that decision i think very early on um but not certain if that was going to what that really meant and what that looked like i think it was our initial um uh, decision was obviously um government put a mandate in place but i think um we had already suspicions from a, a week before even the mandate came down from the province, um, you know, just listening to what was happening around the world and seeing countries respond in the necessary ways. And I think just also being, you know, cautious of like how we put ourselves and our staff in, in, in those positions of comfort and um, discomfort. Could you give us an idea of the scale to which this is affecting the restaurant industry? Oh, um, you know, I've, I've been in the last several weeks, um, I've really been um, privy to quite a quite a bit of conversations between myself, um, restaurant, other restaurateurs, managers, bartenders, um, folks that are not even within the industry. And I think the overall consensus is that I think we've had to, um, our sector specifically has had to really admit some real truths about our state of vulnerability and how vulnerable we have all put have we've all been placed in in this position 
And for those that responded with shutting down and then pivoting by opening up for takeout, it was one reality for some restaurants, but I think for others, there were a few weeks of trying to get it organized and get it set up because, you know, I wouldn't say 50% of restaurants are, are, um, are offering takeout. Um, but I do think that there is a, a percentage of restaurants that had already had it in place, but still it was, um, really rethinking, like, what does it mean to be safe in your kitchens and preparing food to then be, um, delivered to your get customers and securing their safety and, and the delivery person's safety. I think there is many, um, there are many aspects of what I think overall restaurants have had to, to think about. Uh, but I think overall it was, you know, the safety, the security, the functionality, the realities, and the future of what restaurants are going to have to do in, in situations like this um, to readapt. I, th- I think that, you know, largely the industry is kind of built on, you know, uh, you know, it's it's a sandcastle in that, you know, a lot of people think, well, these people who run restaurants, oh, they probably can afford, you know, being, you know, not working for a month or two or two weeks or whatever. But, you know, like margins are so small that even two weeks without revenue, it, it, it can be, you know, disastrous. Yeah. And I, and I think that's that's really, truly a big part of why why. I think for so many restaurants that this was a, a hard reality is if, if how the, the how many of us really do operate our businesses within a month to month basis and that the revenue stream that is coming in, you know, more than hopefully, you know, you can really expect minimum 30 percent is already going to um, that's already going to your uh, payroll and then some is in, and what that actually means and how, if you're living, if you're operating your business month to month, um, how much, what does savings look like and what does being prepared and being really, um, prepared to, to, to prioritize around a, a, a life changing epidemic like this. Like, I don't think anybody was prepared for this. No one, no one, not this industry, not many sectors were, were prepared. Um, but I think, I think some real realities came to 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 the reality uh, came to fruition for a lot of people that were like, okay, this this dynamic that we've been doing, whether our restaurant is a new restaurant, whether we've been open for fifteen years, twenty years, whatever it might be, we are really truly in a vulnerable place, and it's it's really hard to grapple that reality when your restaurant's full and it's booming and people are assuming, Oh, you're doing well. And maybe you're thinking about opening another location or, or maybe you're thinking about bringing on more staff, or maybe you're thinking about expansion and opening up a commissary kitchen. But the reality is it's just how thin, like you said, the margins are. And yet we do this and we close restaurants or we reopen restaurants. Um, We, you know, we take these chances as entrepreneurs, we put the risk, we put ourselves out there. We um, put our families a part of this, you know, we sacrifice our friendships, our relationships, our, you know, and all of that is, you know, comes down to the love for what, why we do what we do, the 
compassion of hospitality and service and the understanding that this isn't an industry for everyone. And there's a lot of people that fantasize about opening up a restaurant, but I think this is a real time to see how we as an industry will come out of this and how we will respond to these major changes that we're going to have to like assimilate to in order to be able to one, potentially reopen doors or shut our doors and close that chapter in our lives for some people. And how do we move forward and how do we, how do we reprogram ourselves in thinking that, okay, this happened, this could happen again. And are we going to be prepared and are we going to be ready the next time this happens again or an aversion of this happens again? How have you seen some restaurants, you know, kind of adapt to the situation? Um, you know, it, it's been a little bit of everything. Um, across the board, I think everyone has hunkered down. They, you know, made good, you know, honest decisions in the beginning with their their um, their product that was remaining that was kind in the in the restaurant so i think a lot of restaurants um and catering companies and cafes um made a decision to really um either divvy out their food amongst their their team their staff um so that the product wouldn't go to waste and then um there were some businesses that you know immediately were like okay we're going to open up as a as a, um, a relief kitchen where we're going to feed um not just our staff but people within the industry that are hungry um, and or we're going to donate our foods to food banks and to organizations that can get this product, this food out um, so it doesn't go to waste. Um, uh, I think on a, on a larger institution level, you know, a lot of the universities, culinary schools and programs, they quickly try to, you know, either assemble and figure out what how they could get this product out and not have the wastage of it. Um, and then you had the, the establishments that, you know, like I said, quickly, you know, went into action with, okay, we're going to start doing takeout. And, you know, and I think as you start, you started to see the weeks pass, you know, a lot of people were like, okay, how can we, how can we frame our, our menu to really kind of keep our brand and our restaurant alive? How can we still keep our staff employed? How can we still keep some revenue coming through our, our door with our doors shut? Some people opened, uh, stayed open. Some people opened and they quickly shut after because they realized that it was too high of a risk and that the, the cost wasn't really worth it. They were, the, the, the revenue wasn't enough to sustain it. Um, some people got really, you know, innovative with like, let's open a portion of our business offering pantry items like flour and toilet paper and things that people w were not getting access to quite regularly at their at their local grocery stores or bodegas or, or convenience stores. I think people were, you know, I think as we do in this industry, we have to think on our feet and we have to innovate and we have to, in the moment, we have to be um, prideful. We have to be just, we have to think about how do we how do we how can we quickly pivot so that you know we can survive and i think anyone knows that in this industry it's it's a really the survival survivalist attitude that kind of allows you to keep going because every day you might have a full dining room and the next day you might have two people 
And then the next day you might have a, a full service, a booked out service for lunch, dinner, and late night. You know, it just kind of is, it's a feast and famine. And I think we as, as entrepreneurs, that's the spirit of what makes why we do what we do so, um, so, so impactful because it's not everyone that can do this and not everyone that chooses to do this type of work, but for the, those that do do it, it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a high risk, you know, situation. And, um, you know, it's kind of just part of the story and it's part of what it is within this industry. Well, it's even in, it's a tough industry, even in the best of circumstances. And, you know, I think there's going to be with this a bit of a Darwinian element, unfortunately, because you're already starting to see, you know, good restaurants close down. What do you see as kind of the lasting trends? Like, I mean, what's going to I mean, what I'm seeing is a lot of like, for example, businesses using this opportunity to kind of expand their brand beyond the kitchen. Are they marketing their sauces? Are they marketing preserves like stuff like that that they're putting together, which I think is really cool. But like, what do you see as the, you know the changes that are going to come out of this, and ch- you know, change the business long term? Yeah, you know, I think with with you know, and I can only you know really speak on what we're doing here at True True. I can't really you know give a general consensus over overall because I think every business owner they have to think about what their 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 goals are and what is their mission behind their establishment. But I know here at True True, we chose not to reopen our doors. I think before even deciding that we weren't going to reopen, I think we closed our, closed our doors thinking that, oh, this might be two weeks. And even when we were cleaning out the the fridges and we were putting our care packages together for our, our team, we were, you know, anticipating like that this might be short-lived and this we'll, we'll see, we'll be back here and we could envision what's going to come after this but as the weeks turned from two weeks to three weeks to a month to now two months it really had us taking some real time to like slow down and rethink and re-envision what we want where we want the brand to go I think all of the shifts and changes that we're making here are things that we've always thought about but these are these were conversations that Johnny and I had even before opening the doors of what is the mission of True True and where do we want to take this restaurant to, this brand to? Is it a brand? You know, calling it even a brand is like even new for me. You know, it's not just a name. It's not just a, um, a concept. It's, you know, it's now you're, you're thinking about like how do we want people to think about us, talk about us outside of the restaurant? How do we want uh, reporters to write about us and share about what we're doing in the restaurant and what's our theme? And we've always wanted to be able to have our guests and our customers feel like this is their this is their local and that they can come here and they can grab something that is um, either on menu or off menu, but something that really, really speaks to the conversation that we want to have around comfort food. And that comfort food is, you know, can be enjoyed every day, whether it's you making it at home or coming to True True Diner. But I think that using that as our as our point of entrance, I think we've we've really had to like pivot and think, well, what does that look like? Does that mean that we'd be selling our our, our house biscuit recipe 
or our house biscuits would that be looking at like us making um selling our, our jams as, as you're saying like restaurants are doing preserves and things of that sort i think you know a big part of my early work in food really stems with uh working in within a bakery and having my first bakery as my first business after graduating from culinary school and really offering delicious pastries that I felt were really truly some of the best pastries that I could create and that I would offer. So I think that every business and every individual, um, whether you're a large franchise, a restaurant group, an independent person, like you, you really have to look into where do you feel like your voice is, is going to be the most impactful as we grow in, in this industry. But I, I think there's another conversation that, you know, we'll get to in, within this, in this, within this call in regards to the overall perspective and the desires that we want to offer as, um, as restaurants and what we want to contribute to the, the industry. Because I think that that's another part of the conversation that we're all having right now, or some of us are, are listening um, to hear what people are saying and how people are responding and what what we feel is is our conversations that aren't happening. I think if there's one good thing that can come out of all of this, it's your biscuit recipe and the physical biscuits themselves being <laughs> given to uh, more of the population would be fantastic. <laughs> so this whole thing... I appreciate that. <laughs> there, literally, I was like, it just disintegrated in my mouth in a buttery uh, cat, uh, cataclysm. <laughs> so, I mean, I was really stunned when we were doing the episode of Plated and following, uh, you know, you putting together True True Diner, how the, the amount of work that went, the, the amount of work, the amount of thought that went into it. So w when you look at the back of the last year, what was the most challenging thing for you, you know, opening up now that you kind of had a chance to kind of sit and reflect? Um... <laughs> Where do, where would I say uh, I can begin? I think, you know, letting go of, honestly, I, I think letting go of maybe some of our ideas that we, we were hopeful that this, this restaurant could um, morph into. And I say that because, you know, when we opened Saturday Dinette, our first project, that was myself and Johnny. And that was our creative energy together, crafting and molding and making that restaurant all that it was. True True is our first endeavor together with, with, a, with a third party partner. And I think that part for me was very uncertain for a few reasons. One, not necessarily knowing our partners for that long. And two, not really knowing how to bring about a concept with another person that has their own experiences, their own drive, their own focus and ideas of what, uh, what makes a good restaurant or what makes a good concept work. And I think letting go of maybe some of our, our, our not our ideals, but I think just letting go of some of the moments where I was like, I'm not going to not do this. And being open to like, okay, maybe there is some, maybe there's some power, maybe there's some uh, reason why this could actually work. And really, you know, choosing your battles, fighting for things that are really important 
and allowing my voice and our voice to be very much heard in lots of negotiations. But I think overall and is, is letting go of this feeling that I have to be in control of certain decisions that need to be made and allowing them to develop and fall into place as most things eventually do. You know, I want to guide, I, I had dreams of guiding this in a direction that was so very specific to the work that I'm, I'm stepping into right now. And it changed a bit. It changed for many reasons. It changed because this wasn't just me and Johnny and that this was, was also not necessarily the right space for, for um, some of that to come about. And, and I think that, you know, letting go of like this feeling that it has to be this way or no way was was a huge lesson that I'm as we're sitting at home really processing the last six seven months you know really thinking about all that we that has happened all the staff that has come and gone all of the decisions that needed to be made all of the 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 versions of our menu that that really kind of pushed us to to go deeper and and really think it through what what this concept was about has allowed us to, this time has really allowed us to just let go and be like, okay, this is, it's been an evolution of trusting in the people that we work with, trusting in um, the realities of working as within a partnership and trusting in our decisions that we know what it, what we, what we know is what we know, but what we don't know, we don't know. You know, and and if that makes any sense, I don't really know, but like no, it, it does really, absolutely. It really kind of enlightened me after walking away from my first project, questioning what decisions, what did I do wrong, to then opening this and thinking, what don't I want to do again wrong so that this doesn't work? Like, how do I make this work better than what it was before? But what it was before was was it was nothing. I mean, this is this is a totally completely a new concept and. Um, I think we have all of the tools that we needed. I think the greatest thing that I have really, really is is letting go and trusting that, you know, what will be is going to be. And we will come out of this and we will find a way. I think it's hard anytime you're, you know, it's not, you're not just working at the place. Your, your livelihood and, you know, what you're doing with your time and from with your family is dictated by the success of the restaurant and, you know, what's going on with the restaurant. So, you know, when you're giving up power, it's always difficult because it feels like you're not in control of your own life. That, I mean, it's, it's tough. I think, you know, when I talk to any entrepreneur or business owner, especially in culinary, especially when there's a vision, it, it, trusting people to, it's hard to trust people when it's your expression and your livelihood. Cause it's like the two things put together. It's like your ego and your pocketbook. Oh, completely. Yeah. Completely. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think ego is a huge thing that I recognize that is a part of as an entrepreneur, there is a huge ego that has to almost lead you in the very beginning. Not not necessarily in a negative way, but you have to have some guts to do this, to, to put yourself and to put the sacrifices out there and to be a bit vulnerable. You have to and believe to, in yourself. Like that's you gotta, like you have to have the hubris to believe in yourself that I can do this. Yeah. And even when you feel scared and even when you feel alone you know you find that with you find that strength within to keep propelling forward and to keep it going and 
the harder you fight, the, the more that you find that you're not alone and you recognize really quickly that, you know, whether this idea is something that is ongoing and, and that actually has a real longevity there and then people can actually also um, believe in what you're, what you're expressing. It's, it's humbling to, to know that this work that I'm doing right now is probably won't be the, the work for the rest of my life, but in this exact moment, going through all of these shifts and pivots and, and changes and realignments, it's just kind of like me recognizing that it's, a, it's such a living document <laughs> and like I'm living my life right now. Yeah. And that life is going to take me in one direction and then it's going to take me in another direction. And wherever I'm, wherever I'm leading, I'm just, I just want to just keep, continue to follow and inspire and be inspired and, and find a way to really um, listen and impact through, through my work and through the things that I really in, enjoy doing. Do you catch yourself having too much control? You know, it's like, it's funny. I feel like I, I was in it. I had an interview maybe few years back and someone asked me like are you a controlling person and I was like my like immediately I answered not at all like I do not care about control I'm not a control. And, <laughs> and that is a true Leo speaking through and through saying that I do not <laughs> yeah <laughs> but I do not like being controlled because you know I think when I thought about that responding to that question I think I thought that I was this very outspoken, loudmouth, like determined, very aggressive person and saying, this is how it's got to be. And that's not necessarily what control always looks like. And that doesn't, you know, it, yeah, there's a version of control for sure in that, but there's also uh, this other version of, of me feeling like I need to have a control and that I, I need to have myself activated in a way that is like, no, I'm doing the thing that I want to do. And this is what I'm going to do. And I'm like, oh, that's, oh shit, that's control. <laughs> that's me taking control of, mm -hmm. of, of the moment. But maybe it's not as bad as what people are saying it is, but it's not a bad thing. I think it's just, um, it's just, you know, some real true self-awareness. And, you know, it's, it took me a couple of years to really understand and, and, and recognize that, oh no, I, I know I need to be in control. And as I look at the, my last, 14 years in this industry I'm like yep <laughs> yep that's uh, yep that's kind of I've been there like yep I'm I'm in one of being control in that situation in that situation and I have power in that situation and um they've all you know every situation in this last 14 years of my life have have been so fucking incredible and you know some high and lows moments but I think overall it's um just you know, making time now, making space now, and seeing um, and having these self awareness, self aware moments, where I can catch myself, and and ask myself the question, like you know, like what is, what is the goal by me having this this final word, or what is the what is the impact if, if I don't get the way that I think I need it to be, is it going to change me, change this? feeling this this action what why is it so important that this has to be this way so um, i think yeah. control is an interesting thing because 
there's different levels of it. Just like mm-hmm. with power, there's different levels of it. There's like a Machiavellian application of it. And then there's are using your power to create opportunities. But with control, there's a difference between like micromanaging and being a, like a conductor or yep. like a creative director. For seeing you in action, it seems more like uh, you don't care where the good idea comes from. And I think that's a sign of having like kind of a secure ego. Whereas some people have to be, you know, the stereotypical chef, enfant terrible, where they have to control all aspect of down to, you know, what the garmanger is doing. Right. 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 And I think, you know, even in, in those moments of, and I appreciate you saying that, but it's, you know, it's like, I even think about my working relationship with my partner, with Johnny. We made a very clear decision when we decided to open our uh, restaurants together is that you man the front of the house. I've got the back of the house. What, you know, whatever decisions you make for the front of the house is your decision. Whatever the back of the house decisions, I make those decisions. But in, in this space with True True, it was, and, and not that our partners really kind of were like on us to, to do it one way or that they had a better, another opinion. I think we were just really trying to work in, in a collaborative way with our partners. And we still are, and we're doing it in, in a way that really gives us both space to voice um, our opinions, but also to be able to lead our team in a way that we feel will, in the, in the ultimate goal will be for us to grow and for them to grow within our business and for the business to grow. So. You know, it's like I, in this time that I have had off, like recognizing that that doesn't just have to be, and that's not always the case. Like sometimes I might be in the front of the house and seeing something and maybe the servers might need some support or back of the house, you know, they might need support and Johnny would say something and understanding that like, it can't just be so black and white, you do this, you do that, because that's not, that's not, that's not really realistic. You know, and, uh, you know, like our roles and our positions have incredibly, they've just shifted over the years. It's inflexible and, is what I think it is. Like, yeah, you know, because you can't adapt like it different. It's different when you're working at like a unionized hotel, which is Absolutely. regimented down to the to the job. Right. Right. In a restaurant, it's more of a fluid thing where everyone kind of has to understand what everyone does, but be willing to jump in and support what's going on and i feel the kitchens i've been in that didn't work didn't grasp that it was always that's not my job or blah 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 blah. right but at the end of the day you survive together right and you know i think it's just there's i think you have to know each other well and know your team well and each other well in order to do that effectively we're we're still so young you know like when we really put it you know into perspective how long we've been open and what we've been able to do like i feel like Literally right before we we shut our doors um, due to COVID, we started to really see a rise in um, customer base. Um, we started to see a rise in the morale, a, a shift in morale lift of our team, and we also saw a shift in my role and Johnny's roles, and and who was who was supportive to to our team in other ways. And and you know it's kind of like we have such. We have so much more that we want to get accomplished, and I am really hopeful that coming out of out of all of this, that we can find a real path that will allow for our our team to like 
be activated, reactivated because being dormant for so long, like you kind of forget about that pace, that tempo that we in the industry get so accustomed to. And we almost like live, die, breathe for when we have a busy service to like, I'm really hopeful that we don't go back to a state of where, yeah, in the very early months, we were really kind of, you know, like slow and it was, people still didn't know who we were. People were still questioning what we had to offer, but I'm really hopeful that like coming out of all of this, that we can, we'll find our rhythm quite quickly and we, we will, you know, uh, uh, you know, obviously we'll have to make the shifts that are, are required as per the province in order to abide by the new rules of COVID-19. So, you know, it's going to be an interesting um, coming of weeks as we really, really maneuver into what it looks to really reopen and to um, offer, you know, our products back to, to the customers um, here. So we'll see. We'll see. Do you have trouble staying present at home during times like this because your, you know, your mind is wandering <laughs> onto, oh, what could I be doing? Oh, maybe we could do this and maybe we could do that. Because, like, when I'm at home doing stuff, like, oh, you know, me and my girlfriend will be having dinner and talking and my brain will just start thinking about something that I could be doing to make this better. Or it's, I find it, I do find it hard to be present sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I think that, to be honest, right now, I feel like I've, I'm the most present I've been in, in, in a few in, the, in many months, to be honest. And I say that because I feel like I, I've i been running for a while. I mean, when we started filming Plated, I was working on another project full-time. And this project was uh, starting to build up and starting to go. And in addition to working on my first cookbook, I had many things that were have been going on for me. And now that everything with the exception of kind of the book has kind of been put on the back burners. Like it has allowed me to kind of be a bit more quiet in my head and find myself to actually sit with Johnny and not just talk to him about, you know, the restaurant and what's going on and what we need to do, but finding time for us to, to kind of remember that we're, you know, we're, we're, you know, lovers and that we're, we have a partnership and that we have a son that is, is, is getting older and his, his need for us and his access to us has, has really increased over the last two months and having time to like call and reconnect with friends that I haven't seen in like years or spoken to in years. And so, you know, it's like when I'm in it, when we're, when we're, when we're in our, in our flow pre coat pre-COVID, like, you know, the last few months have just been, have been really chaotic for me. And I'm, I'm just grateful to finally be at a, at a tempo that has allowed me to like, just breathe a lot and to make real time, listen and not do a fucking thing. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> you know, like, like really, truly, like I, I just, I, I'm not thinking about I'm not having to process like, okay, who's not coming in or, or do we, is a schedule ready for next week and what holiday is coming up? Do we have, um, mother's day preparation? Are are we prepped? Do we have a catering event? Do we have, um, a special, and you know, that's just, it's been like this constant for me that I welcome 
you know, like in the beginning, I don't think I was so welcoming of this because I was more nervous. Like, what is this actually going to feel like to just be still for a minute? But oh, I had an I had a full on anxiety attack because of (laughs) like I'm like what like immediately my brain started populating what to do with the time. Yes, but but then it's like okay, how am I prioritizing this? If I'm sitting playing a video game, do I feel guilty? about it you know what i mean if i smoke that extra joint today am i feeling guilty about it you know it's really especially because i i don't think i've ever seen you be idle before yeah yeah i I think the closest thing was you sitting and doing our interview and having a glass of wine that was like that was it um so you mentioned the you mentioned the book when do you decide it's time to do a cookbook Oh, dude, I did not decide this. <laughs> oh, really? I did not. I, did not. I, I honestly did not seek for this. Um, and, and not that I'm not grateful. Penguin Random, if you're here listening, thank you very much. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, but like really, truly, like I, I created, a, like I have a friend um, who, who, she's a reporter that became a friend or a journalist that became a friend. And we d- had the opportunity of doing a podcast when I was at the dinette about my mom and about food and what my family's uh, Sunday night dinners look like and so she has a podcast called a Sunday night dinner and it really allowed us to kind of just get to know each other in a different way and it was really really great and then we stayed in contact and then when I was um, beginning uh, my first few weeks at the natural gourmet uh, not the natural gourmet, at um, the Gladstone Hotel I was um, you know really thrilled to like invite her in because I was doing my my mother's food my father my mother and father's food I was doing Jamaican cuisine but with with my own interpretation of it and we this it was maybe a month in of the uh, residency that she came and we sat and we started talking and she was like I really think there's something really powerful here and I was like what do you mean she's like I think that it would be amazing if we could write about your story of of like really creating this menu for your mom and how how your relationship with your mom has really impacted you becoming a chef and I was like oh yeah sure okay that'd be cool like that would be fun like and we wrote something together really quickly and um she had a contact at um public penguin random house and it turns out that her contact was actually she was an editor and had was a regular customer at the dinette. And she was like, oh my gosh, yes. And they were like, okay, let's put, can you put together a more formal uh, book proposal? And so then we took photographs, we did like a 13, 15, 13 to 15 page book proposal, and we submitted it and they get, were gassed. On top of that, they were like, this is great, we love this, but we wanna hear your story. We want to hear more about almost like a bit of your memoirs. Why did you become a chef? How, what does food mean to you and your family? So the original book proposal concept was really just new Jamaican cuisine was kind of the concept that was what I wanted to present. And we it shifted from it being about new Jamaican cuisine to it just being a book about me coming back home to Canada as an, as an adult getting married, having a child, opening a restaurant, and my career that has, you know, just followed behind me as I've been just pushing through with 
these incredible people in my life that have inspired me and stories that have have been with me that I'm sharing. So it it really wasn't um, something that I was kind of seeking. I just kind of like really went with the idea of like, oh, this could be fun. Like, you know, we had talked about maybe putting a cookbook together for the dinette, but we were we were really envisioning like more of a snapshots of like a table, a, 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 um, a coffee table book mm-hmm. that would really kind of be a, a collection of our Instagram photos of our brunch and people's favorite dishes, but that never happened. So as this started to really build up and get a bit more serious and then final book signing, it was like, oh, wow, this is actually happening. <laughs> like, I'm actually signing a contract to write my, my memoirs. Like, this is insane. So I'm grateful that these magical moments keep happening to me in my life and people that have come into my life that have really been such a huge part of them that have, like, helped to, to really nurture them in, in a way to allow me to, to just keep, keep on my path and keep on my grind it it's been like it's it's really been um it's quite incredible and inspiring and Suzanne Hancock is is someone that I you know she's my she's definitely someone that will be a part of my family for the rest of my life what kind of headspace does that put doing a book like this put you in like do you does you get super reflective you know, it's uh, every, you know, the way that we have decided our approach in writing is it's a few different ways. Like I write on my own. I do a lot of free kind of free thought, free, free thinking writing um, to us having our one on one sessions over the phone. We used to meet weekly, but due to COVID, we have now had to um, shift our physical meeting to just our weekly um, conversations and I think that, you know, every day it's a little different, um, to be honest. Like, if we're writing about maybe my mom, um, it's, I find that sometimes it's it's quite emotional. You know, I don't always share so much of myself to people that I don't know. And I think in the weeks that, in the weeks and months that we've been working together, Suzanne and I, I've, she's definitely... I've opened up to her in, in, in ways that I think a lot of people don't know about me and recognizing really quickly that she needs as much information to be able to really help tell my story. Um, so the, the more honest and, and, and just vulnerable I could put, be is sometimes some of the best writing that I think she can um, use to help put this book together. And, you know, I reflect on... You know, like one of the days she asked me, like, what are the 10 life changing moments in your life? And I was like, okay, da, 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 da. and then I was like, oh, but then there was this. Oh, but then there was this. It, it's almost like looking, starting to, to listen to me speaking about my life and really kind of floating over these conversations and starting to see the threads that keep coming, that keep that tie this all together and how my connection and my relationship with my mom, um, even though, you know, she has been gone for over 20 years now, that it doesn't matter even, even in her absence, you know, my life that I lived there, there's so many parallels, um, 
And there are so many moments that I wish she could have been there to see. But, you know, I think that I also share that with her, that there were so many moments in her life that I wish that I was around to see. But that's, you know, that's not the reality that we are, you know, I've been faced with. But I think it's, um, yeah, it's it's many self-reflection. It's, it's also a lot of sadness. It's also a lot of, like, laughter it's a lot of like moments of like holy shit that happened and you know even sharing about my my relationship with Johnny and how we met and you know just like some unbelievable magical moments that have happened in my life and I'm just like what the hell and you know just being so 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 much gratitude so much gratitude last thing I want to kind of talk about is just what are the goals when you do something like that? Because I know you said you didn't, you know, it wasn't something you considered right away, but now that you're in it, you know, what do you want a person reading the Suzanne Barr story to, you know, to to say and, and to get from it? Uh, um, <laughs> I just I go full, yet. I just go full, I just go full <laughs> Oprah on it. I know. <laughs> Honestly, I don't, I don't know. You know, like we're not, you know, we're not close to being done. I mean, we are, we have our, um, our date to, to submit our first, um, version of, of the book is, uh, was in August. Um, but it probably will be pushed to maybe September, but I don't know. I mean, you know, it's not like I'm, you know, some household name. Like, it's not like I have achieved everything that I want to achieve in my life yet. I feel like it's just, just, this is just the start of so much more that I know that I'm, I'm going to be a part of in my lifetime. Well, I guess that's difficult because like you're writing kind of a memoir, but you're not, yeah, you're not, exactly. you're not old. I'm not old. I'm 40, you know, I'm 43 years old and, you know, I still have so much to, to, to give, but I guess, you know, what I, what I, what I have seen up to this point in my life has really been just a glimpse into, you know, many, I would say many first-generation um, immigrant kids' stories of reflecting back to your to your parents, your grandparents, your aunties and uncles, and your you know your heritage and your and your rituals that you did, and um, and how that really plays into to the years that you go through from your twenties to your thirties, and now me in my forties and and becoming a parent. And I think overall being a parent has, you know, for a lot of people, it shifts. It, it, it's just like you, you literally, you know, come home and your life begins again when you become a parent. And, you know, I think there's that part of, of who I knew I was going to be before having, before becoming Miles's mom. And now my life of who I'm going to be being Miles's mom is you know it's changing it's changed and so it's hard to say you know like I feel like right now I'm in the thick of it all the writing and there's so many um so many so many more chapters ahead to write and what those chapters will how they will inspire me and in the work that I'm doing right now is quite um which is exciting because I don't really know what to expect in the next coming of, of weeks and months with having this, uh, with having COVID happen in, in my lifetime and during, during my lifetime while going through 
writing a memoirs and, and, and opening up another restaurant, it's, um, it's going to be, it's going to be definitely a, a beautiful, uh, a depiction of, of, of where I was while I wrote and how I, you know, how I found my voice in a way that really can lead someone to want to even read my book, you know, like I'm, I'm just kind of like, I can't even, you know, like I don't even see the cover like right now, like I'm still kind of like, damn, I have so much more to, to say and so much more to do. Um, but I do think that it's, it's going, it's, it's been a really awesome journey. And, um, you know, I feel like I'm either at the, at the summit or just like, we're just, we're getting up the first mountain and we're going to get over this and then we'll get to the summit and we'll head down again and then we'll go up again. But we'll see, we'll see how it goes, you know? On that note, Suzanne Barr, thank you so much for your time and your talents. Thank you so much for your, you know, allowing me to just be here with you guys and sharing a bit of what, where my head is at and, and where um, we are as a, um, I don't know, where we are right now in this world and so much that has already changed in the last few, two months to where I thought we would be, to where we're going. And even now, I don't even know where we're going. Well, thank you. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right, guys, thanks for listening. Just a reminder, if you like this podcast and want to keep hearing it, subscribe and give us a five-star review. And if you're not already subscribing to our YouTube channel or following us on social media, get on it. You will not regret it.